0: education, health, climate,
1: and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Th- Think Again, presented to you by Borderlands Cooperative, an organisation that has been dedicated to social change for over 20 years. I'm Jacques Boulet.
0: I'm Jennifer Burrell.
1: Today we're talking about men with Bob Peace, who is here in the studio. Welcome, Bob.
2: Thank you very much for inviting me on.
1: Poppy is a locally, nationally, and internationally known writer, teacher, and activist in the men's business. What I call men's business, probably wrongly, uh, area, and I do call it men's business because so many of the other ways of naming and referring to issues to do with men's role in violence is fraud, or are fraud. I'm talking about everyday conversations, but also through institutions and across the globe. So I really want this to remain part of the conversation itself and let Bob guide us through the pitfalls of the language and the nomenclature. I've I've known Bob since the mid-80s, actually, meanwhile well over 30 years, as a colleague, co-activist in men and gender issues, and a friend. So I'd like us to start with a bit of history of the men's movement Another word which we probably shouldn't be using indiscriminately, woven into our personal biography of becoming and being an activist man over the last about 30 years, I think. So over to you,
2: Bob. Right, yes, actually, I, I was thinking jacques it 's actually forty years right, rather than thirty mm-hmm. <laughs> very um, impressive <laughs> it was um, in the 1970s I, I had the the fortune of being involved with a young woman who was discovering feminism and, and as women did in those in those days, women participated in consciousness raising mm-hmm. groups and, mm-hmm. and she would come home from her consciousness raising group, very challenging and confronting. Um, of me in terms of my particip- lack of participation in housework, mm. my <laughs> lack of emotional accessibility to her, the fact that I gave, uh, I seemed to be overcommitted to my study and my paid work at the expense of our relationship. Mm. Social- mm. And as someone who was involved in social justice politics at the time, I was a social work student and part-time community worker intellectually the ideas of feminism just made a lot of sense Mm -hmm. but at an emotional level i felt i was deeply unsettled and threatened by it all Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so i got together with a group of men most of whom were partners of feminist women to talk about what Mm -hmm. did all this mean for us as men so we tried to mirror what the women were doing we set up a an anti-sexist men's consciousness mm. raising group mm-hmm. to explore uh, these ideas and what they meant for us as men. And so we discussed topics like housework and sexuality and mm. paid work mm. and emotions and rape and violence. And, and um, But one of the things that developed in this group, about 12 men, a tension developed between some men who wanted to talk more about men's privilege and power mm-hmm. And other men, he wanted to talk about men's pain and unhappiness, and and this was before there were books written about men, mm-hmm. and before there was mm-hmm. any notion of a men's movement in inverted commas mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. the horizon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this tension, uh, though developed, and um, and ultimately led to a split, and and I always thought that men's privilege and power on the one hand and men's pain on the other were Mm. flip sides of the same coin. But I didn't have any intellectual frames for making sense of it. Mm -hmm. So I set up a reading group on feminist theory. Four of us started to read key feminist books. And and that was my first intellectual engagement with Mm. gender. So that was the beginning of a long journey. And that led on to starting to do some activist work around. We set up a group Mm. in Tasmania in the 70s called Men Against Sexism. Then when I moved to Melbourne in the late 80s, in, in, um, in 1989, 1990, set up a group with other men called Men Against Sexual Assault, mm-hmm. MASA, mm-hmm. which you would be familiar yep. with because yep. we had an of in Borderlands That's at right. the time. That's right. And we organized marches by Men Against Sexual Violence. They've been reclaimed the night marches mm-hmm. for many, many years, but... This was encouraging Mm -hmm. men to take a public stand, and we ran forums and workshops and uh, did public media work, wrote letters to the editor, op ed pieces, developed a a workshop called Patriarchy Awareness Education. Mm
0: -hmm. And
2: so, um, yes, I got involved in activist work then as I moved into academia. Taught one of, but I think was one of the first university courses at what was then Pitt,
1: mm-hmm. the Phillip mm-hmm. Institute
2: of Technology, mm-hmm. and later RMIT, on men masculinities and social yep. work, and mm-hmm. then I began a PhD in the late eighties, mm-hmm. and nineties, on pro feminist men's politics, mm-hmm. and and so over the last forty years I. I've straddled both activist work in the wider community mm-hmm. around engaging mm-hmm. men, uh, doing public media work, doing community education work around men's violence, and intellectual and academic work in mm-hmm. terms of mm-hmm. writing and research and um, yeah, so that's a, a bit of a potted history. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, no, I was part of some of those. You, yes, we, our lives interconnected that's at correct. various points. Yeah,
1: in the points. late, in the late eight nineties, when yeah. we started Borderlands, I became part of I still yeah. have all of the the soft the soft copies of all of the material you mm-hmm. produced. <laughs> mm?
0: Yeah, so I think it's really interesting to have um, you in the on this program, Bob, too, just because of your history, and you obviously have some really good perspectives about how. The movements changed, and do you mm. think things have generally improved in relation to, um, I guess, um, the culture that uh, underpins family violence and um, violence against women, or I suppose oppression of women? Do you think it's Do you think it's improved, or how mm. do you, how do you see mm. it playing out over years?
1: Before we do that, we probably should have first a little bit of a break to get to catch our breath. And to uh, listen to Judy small,
3: That's good. it was a cold December afternoon. The line stretched round the block, and some of them were weeping, and some were still in shock. seven thousand came that day to pay their last respects to 14 women slaughtered for no reason but their sex and the cameras and the mics were there to record the grief and fear of the ordinary people who work studied here And a woman in her fifties In a gentle, quiet tone Summed up her sister's outrage At the murder of their own She said, I wonder why As I try to make sense of this Why is it always men who resort to the gun, the sword and the fist? Why does gunman sound so familiar while gunwoman doesn't quite ring true? What is it about men that makes them do the thing?
2: With Respect is a new family violence service for LGBTIQ plus Victorians providing counselling and recovery programs for victims and survivors of family violence and help for people using violence who want to stop. With Respect is a partnership between Queer Space, Thorn Harbour Health, Switchboard Victoria and Transgender Victoria. For more information visit withrespect.org.au or call one 542 847 With Respect is not a crisis service. If you need immediate help call triple zero
0: a 3cr supporter you're listening to think again 3cr 855 am on your dial 3cr digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au today we're talking with bob peace about men family violence and creating social change
1: Bob, I, just as uh, Jennifer, uh, Jen, Jennifer said before, uh, thinking about where things have changed, I've been privileged to closely follow and be part of some of the turning points in your involvement in the men's movement, as I called it, wrongly, uh, over the last 30, 40 years. I've personally witnessed a deepening of your analysis and understanding of gender issues from a man's perspective as informed by feminism.
2: So can you tell us a bit about some of those turning points? Yeah, sure. I I think for me one of the the first turning points was when I got involved in some anti-racism workshops in the the 1980s um, where those of us who were white were coming together to explore our racism And I found those workshops incredibly powerful. And when I started to think about how to engage men in issues of patriarchy and sexism, Mm -hmm. I thought we had a, we could learn a lot from anti-racism work. And so Mm -hmm. I got involved then in setting up, in establishing patriarchy awareness workshops, Mm -hmm. which I'd mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. And I, mirrored them on the anti-racism workshops I'd experienced yes, because I found mm. them very emotionally powerful. And I discovered that one of the ways in which if I was going to communicate ideas about gender equality and mm. the needs around non-violence to men... One had to encourage and foster in men an empathic response to to the distress that women mm, experienced, mm, mm. and so I began to develop some workshop exercises that would connect emotionally to men mm-hmm. that men would mm-hmm. feel and experience the pain in women 's lives. so I think that was a beginning point mm-hmm. for me mm-hmm. uh, a, a second thing I think is that i I started to uh, began to realize that the process of uh, those of us men who were not physically violent, there was a tendency for us to present ourselves as the good men Mm -hmm. and that the Mm -hmm. problem was those few bad men out there who did Mm -hmm. the violence.
1: And
2: and for me, that failed to address the complicity, it seemed to me, that all of us as men Mm -hmm. have Mm -hmm. in the reproduction Mm -hmm. of a patriarchal Mm -hmm. society. And So so rather than this idea that... um, we need to encourage the good men to challenge just mm-hmm. the bad men. Mm-hmm. Those of us who saw ourselves as good men because we were non-violent and non-abusive, we needed to see that we were part of the problem mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. in some ways. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a significant mm-hmm. change in yes, direction yes. for me. Mm. Um, Then I I think that a lot of the work around engaging men around violence prevention over the years, and and it's still very much the case, has been that if we want men to be non-violent, we have to foster in men an alternative masculinity, Mm -hmm. um, what people now talk about as a a healthy masculinity Mm -hmm. or a positive masculinity. And I increasingly came to the view that rather than trying to foster an alternative masculinity uh, which seemed to me to affirm and and reconfirm men's gender identification. Like, for example, we've had anti-violence campaigns saying real men don't hit Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Be the hero. Mm -hmm. Uh, Are you man enough to stand up against men's violence? All of these are ways of affirming men Mm. to be real men in inverted commas, Mm. albeit a different kind of
0: manhood. So you mm. don't agree with those? No, because
2: it seems to me that if we accept that the gender binary that um, polarises men against women and masculinity against femininity is a hierarchical one, Mm -hmm. that all attempts to foster alternative forms of masculinity... Uh, will ultimately be valued over femininity and that mm-hmm. manhood mm-hmm. will be valued over womanhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to really mm-hmm. transform the gender binary and subjectively that means for me as men, we have to create a sense of moral selfhood in men mm-hmm. that is not connected to and reliant upon having to live up to being a man. Mm. So, I mean, I, I want to foster men's vulnerability, men's compassion, men's mm. empathy, men's caring, encouraging men a more relational sense of mm. self. But I don't want to define these as ways of being men because mm-hmm. I don't want mm. to gender them because it suggests then that that when women exhibit these qualities, are, are they mm being masculine are these mm. masculine qualities we want mm. I, I don't think so I think these are human capabilities mm. that we need to foster in men mm. um, and so to me that meant a shift in the way mm-hmm. I engage men and the mm-hmm. language I use and mm. so I, I wouldn't use the language of healthy and positive masculinities mm.
0: so, so you disagree with some of the campaigning around that
2: mm-hmm. I do. I I I understand the reasons for the, camp, the that kind of campaigning because the the reasoning is that, well, because men I do identify with being a man and mm-hmm. that's important to men and so the campaigns try to use that notion of masculinity mm-hmm. and manhood mm-hmm. to bring men into. Um, into a discussion about alternative ways Mm -hmm, of being. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I I kind of get why people would Mm. use that language of positive, Mm. healthy masculinities. Mm. But I see it as a dead end, conceptually, Mm. politically, Mm. and, Mm. and ultimately personally as well. And and is
0: that why you would object to the term men's business, which I think Jacques introduced but you've challenged that term? Look,
2: I I think that there's there's a I mean, I I fully take the notion of men's responsibility Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and and I suspect in, in Jacques using that term, mm. that's mm. probably more what he meant. Certainly. That that I think we as men have to take responsibility mm. for mm-hmm. the part we play in the reproduction mm-hmm. of patriarchal society. Mm-hmm. But it, it's probably one of why reason I I departed from the notion of the men's movement. I mean mm-hmm. back in the eighties there was this idea of, of a men's movement. That was mm. similar to a women's mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just like the women's movement had these various Factions and divisions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the men's movement was mm-hmm. seen to have these different yeah. factions, and people talked about the men's liberation, men's movement, or the mythopoetic, or mm-hmm. the, the men's rights, and and the pro feminist work that I was, and others did mm-hmm. was seen as a pro feminist wing. Mm-hmm. I moved away from that idea mm-hmm. of a men's mm-hmm. movement mm-hmm. because I saw. Uh, Because we don't have a white people's movement against racism. Um, (laughs) It seemed to me that that the men's movement was ultimately reproducing patriarchy. So Mm -hmm. I was more interested in how we as men Mm -hmm. can form alliances with women and other progressive Mm -hmm. social Mm -hmm. movements.
1: Yeah, and particularly also for me, that it moves away from the really important issue, and that is learning how to relate again. Indeed. From the Mm relate in between kind of a space. Indeed. So. And how necessary that is, has been illustrated just recently by the Leon uh, uh, Gelman-Hanson Young Mm. thing, Mm -hmm. uh, the the constipated way in which that has been dealt with. is just dreadful. Yes.
0: Friends, food and rebellious feminism. Keen to meet like-minded feminists passionate about overhauling the system, want to revel in the global uprisings led by women, Celebrate highlights of 2019 with Radical Women. Swap ideas of what still needs to be done. Find out Radical Women's plans for early 2020 and get involved. Sunday, December the 8th, 5pm at the Solidarity Salon, 580 Sydney Road, Brunswick. All genders welcome. Phone 03 9388 0062 for more information. Radical Women is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to Think Again, 3CR 855 AM on your dial. 3CR digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. Today we're fortunate to have Bob Peace with us in the studio. He's talking about family violence, gender and the men's movement, though he's challenging that phrase, over the last three decades.
1: We have recently witnessed the demise of one of the very well-known expressions of the movement, the White Ribbon Campaign, you briefly referred to. What, What is your take and your insights about that demise, especially as the public commentary about this was rather superficial and certainly didn't contribute to a better understanding of the history and the background?
2: Yes, and for the last few years, prior to the the demise of the campaign, I've been very conflicted about it because Mm -hmm. in the early Mm -hmm. days of of Marsa, I was part of the group that actually developed the first white yeah, ribbon yeah, campaign exactly. in, in, in Australia, and and we had no government funding. Mm. We would go to shops, buy reams of ribbon, and we would cut it into to um, <laughs> small lengths and fold them into V's and <laughs> iron them, and put bobby pins on them. So and, it
0: wasn't just uh, a symbol; it was actually real <laughs> white was, ribbon. It
2: was real uh, uh, sweat and tears, indeed, indeed. <laughs> and so, and 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 that was a result of being really inspired mm. by the work that Michael mm. Kaufman had done in Canada, yep, and it yep. seemed like like this was a good way to encourage the idea of men's responsibility by wearing white ribbon. You were making a statement about your opposition to men's mm-hmm. violence. Mm-hmm. And so with that funding, community-based, it was very social movement-oriented. When the campaign was, um, was developed by the White Ribbon Foundation with government and corporate mm-hmm. funding
1: mm-hmm.
2: it and mm-hmm. with a board of directors, it became corporatized. Mm. And with that corporatisation, mm-hmm. we saw a shift in the in the focus mm-hmm. of the campaign, mm-hmm. and the very notion of men's responsibility was diminished because women were encouraged to wear the ribbons and the oh. t-shirts as well. Mm-hmm. Women were encouraged to to take the oath to mm-hmm. not condone, mm-hmm. commit, or mm-hmm. violence. Yep. And so the when did that mm, happen? This the start, started to, when the campaign was taken. This would have been when the foundation was set up. It would have been. Early 2000, I yes, think, after, yes. that, after the United Nations had a couple of years run the campaign. Mm-hmm. And it had then number of paid staff. One of the other things, they even changed the date because the original mm. campaign was on the anniversary of the massacre in Montreal. In Montreal. Mm. Mm. And then they, um, they changed the date to the first day of the 16 days of activism um, for the elimination of violence, was mm-hmm. the United mm-hmm. Nations feminist campaign, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and so what had be, what had become a f- historically been a feminist women-led campaign um, became um, conflated into the um, White Ribbon campaign, mm-hmm. a White Ribbon. Yes, day. Sorry, and I mean. So mm-hmm. there was a lot of anger about that. A lot of political mistakes were made mm-hmm. along mm-hmm. the way, and that mm-hmm. was just one of them. White, the White Ribbon Foundation took what people sometimes call a big tent approach Mm -hmm. to that is that you with a big tent approach to engaging men you try to use language that's going to get most of the men in the door Mm -hmm. which means you avoid using feminism Mm -hmm. feminist language you avoid talking about patriarchy and men's Mm -hmm. privilege and men's power Mm -hmm. Um, and so but with that opening of that that wider big tent approach White Ribbon lost its analysis, mm, and, mm, and mm. it lost its commitment to the women's, uh, the, the violence prevention sector within the women's movement. Yeah, yeah. Uh, lack of consultation, um, and so prior to the demise, there was understandable anger and um, disillusionment and a sense of loss of credibility, mm-hmm. and I think that started to impact on, on some of the um, some of the corporate financing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. towards the final days, it appears there was financial mismanagement mm. as well. But, but politically, by this stage, the campaign had become su- yep. superficial.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm. We have been working in various projects with Borderlands where we were also included white ribbon And uh, right ribbon material if Mm. you want And uh, episodes And I was increasingly uncomfortable about Mm. it Anyway, your latest book Facing Patriarchy Has just been launched uh, last week I think in a bookshop in Melbourne I attended the event Which was about 50, 60 people there uh, Who really appreciated Both the introduction by Megan Tyler Megan Tyler And your words explaining Some of the whys and hows Of you coming to write it I know that some of it will already have become clear in your previous kind of comments, but it would probably be good still to yeah. have you emphasise, what, what, what concentrate on what were the most important motivations and triggers to write a book with that kind of a title. Yeah. I,
2: I think there are, there are a couple of moments in particular that I, I, I crystallised and I talked about at the launch. And one mm-hmm. was where I was at a... It was actually a white ribbon conference in Sydney in mm-hmm. two thousand and fifteen, and I was on a panel about rethinking violence against women policies and, and I, as i 've been listening to the presentations and the discussion over mm-hmm. the previous day mm-hmm. and a half, becoming increasingly more and more frustrated because, as I mentioned earlier, I, I first got involved in these issues forty years ago mm-hmm. I went to my first conference. Uh, on violence against women in, in, in 1975 mm. and I was mm. reflecting on a 40 year trajectory mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and thinking about how little has in fact changed uh-huh. in 40. Mm. years. coming mm. back to your earlier uh, mm-hmm. comment yep, exactly. uh, Jennifer mm. and, and in fact in some ways it seemed to me we had gone backwards in terms mm. of the language mm. we used that in the 70s we talked about patriarchy as the source of men's violence. Mm. I hadn't heard patriarchy mentioned at all in the previous day and a half of mm. this conference mm. and so mm. i felt that i wanted to do something to bring back that language as a concept mm. because although mm. the, the the concept went out of fashion mm-hmm. the practice mm-hmm. of patriarchy didn't go out did go out of fashion right, no. and and i think mm. a second moment w- was that i had it, First time I went to Sweden, in was again around 2014, 2015, and prior to going to Sweden, like many people in the violence prevention field, I believe that if we created more gender equality at the public governmental level hmm. and in workplaces, hmm. we'd have less violence by men wow. against women. When I went to Sweden I, and I began to discover for the first time that, in fact, And I should have known this, but men's violence against women in Sweden and all the Nordic countries Mm. was Mm. actually quite high, Mm. higher Mm. than in some of the other EU countries. Yeah, I wouldn't have
0: expected that. And Mm. I didn't
2: expect that. And I I, I said to this, I had a conversation with a Swedish feminist academic Mm. and I said, look, how do you explain this high levels of violence against women in Sweden and other Mm -hmm. Nordic countries? And she said, Mm. well, Bob, we're both gender equal and patriarchal here. And I thought, ah, of course, <laughs> that, that the gender equality that had been established mm-hmm. at the governmental level hadn't eroded the multi-dimensions of patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I then felt I really wanted to to kind of develop a more nuanced understanding mm-hmm. of patriarchy, mm-hmm. bring back that mm-hmm. language mm-hmm. into the... And, mm-hmm. um, and, and just to say, the, the title Facing Patriarchy was inspired by... a a comment that James Baldwin made Mm. when he said that not everything that is faced can be overcome, but nothing can be overcome until it is faced. Thank you Bob. That
1: really makes sense to me.
0: You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.